It's the Five at the Back Soccer Podcast. Hello and welcome to another week of the Five at the Back Soccer Podcast. This is your host, Charles, with Jen, Scott, Eric, and Phil. We are bringing you another week of uh, Premier League talk, and we're going to kick it off this week with a recap of the FA, no P, Cup. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to Phil, and he's going to run that down for us. Thanks, Phil. Thank you so much, Charles. Well, I got to say, before I get into that, one of my favorite parts about this podcast is the fan interaction we have. Um, You know, I love hearing from people on Twitter, uh, interacting with them there, uh, 5-F-I-V-E-A-T-B, if you want to follow us, um, and also offline. Um, You know, there's a couple of um, friends or acquaintances of Scott who live in England. Um, They listen to the pod. They give us feedback. So, uh, you know, some of the things, you know, what we're pronouncing wrong, especially me, Lester, <laughs> Lester, you know, history of some of the teams we talk about, uh, fun tidbits. Uh, one's a Liverpool fan, and the other talks a lot about Arsenal. So to add it, I want to say congratulations on your team winning a trophy. So Arsenal won the FA Cup. They beat Chelsea. So what does that mean? <laughs> uh, that means that they will go directly to the group stage. Um, the FA Cup winner goes directly to the group stage. Uh, Leicester finished fifth. They group also go what? group stage of Europa League. Good point, Scott, uh, Charles. Um, so Leicester, by finishing fifth, goes directly to the group stage. The FA Cup winner, Arsenal, goes right to the group stage. City um, won the EFL Cup, which means, and because they are um, in the Champions League next year, that means the seventh place team in Europe gets the spot. So, Spurs, congratulations. Th- say thank you to City for allowing you to play in Europe next year. So that's, that's great news for Spurs. The not-so-great news is that they will begin their Europa journey next month in the second qualifying round, which takes place on September 17th. The draw for that uh, has already taken place. The bad potential news for Spurs is that UEFA inserted a clause into the Europa League saying that if a country bans their members from traveling to countries that they're playing, that the teams that they're playing against are at, then they will automatically forfeit the game. So let's hope there's no COVID, um, you know, outbreaks and and Britain bans their teams um, from traveling. On to the FA Cup. FA Cup was a great match. Um, I watched it. Uh, Pulisic had a great uh, goal for um, Chelsea. Ultimately came up injured during that game. Uh, Aubameyang, um, like he has done for most of the season, uh, carried Arsenal to a 2-1 to one, um, win. And they are pretty pumped to be playing in the Europa League next year. I think we're all rooting for Chelsea as much as that pains me. Uh, to say in this match, um, but they went ahead and qualified via the FA Cup. Charles. Thanks for that, uh, Skiff. All right, so FA Cup final was actually, it was, it was interesting to watch. It kept my attention for a little while. So, uh, it was, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, Arsenal won the game. That's all I can say. All right, moving on to the Europa League. All right, so uh, European soccer has kicked back off. Uh, Started uh, yesterday, actually. Uh, So we're we're recording here on Thursday. Started on Wednesday. Um, We had uh, two Premier League teams in action. One was uh, Manchester United played on Wednesday, and Wolves actually played today. 
Um, so I'm going to real quick recap the United result. United went into the game against Lask uh, up 5-0 on the away uh, game. And so they were coming home. Game was played at Old Trafford. Um, essentially, United already had it in the bag. Everyone's prediction about <clears throat> United fielding a, a youth team, essentially, and putting in a bunch of young players didn't quite come as true as, as it was expected. Um, Harry Maguire actually started in the back, which surprised a lot of people. And mostly it was it was a lot of squad players that played the, the majority of the game. But um, United did come out on top, 1-2-1. to one. Um, Lask scored an absolutely phenomenal goal. Uh, ball bounced out to one of their players just outside the 18, and he rocketed it into the far upper corner. Um, I absolutely tip your cap to that guy. He did a, did a great job. That was a, an excellent goal. Um, but United came back, had the majority of the possession, um, even though they looked exceptionally sloppy, uh, managed to score uh, to score two goals, one through Jesse Lingard, the other two through uh, Anthony Martial, who got subbed on in the last uh, last minute. But honestly, the highlight for me of that game was uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, actually matching a, a record set by Sir Matt Busby, a legendary United coach. Um, he, uh, in the, I believe it was the 80th minute, uh, subbed on uh, Taden uh, Mengai, uh, who is a an 18 year old, and this made the the eighth uh, academy uh, debut for the season for Manchester United. All right, so eight different academy players made their senior debut uh, for Man U uh, under Solskjaer this season, which is uh, fantastic. He when he came in, he said he was going to be promoting the youth, and um, he's living up to his word in that respect. So it was uh, it was really really good to see. Um, but you know that game really didn't mean a whole lot, and uh, now United moves on to uh, to face Copenhagen in the next round. Yes, Skiff. I mean that's an impressive record, but I'm pretty sure that Klopp fielded a whole team of academy players in a competitive match this this year. So just saying. Uh, what was know, that, that competition? That, yeah, what, what competition <laughs> was that? Who who was that against? I don't remember. The details aren't important. Oh, okay, okay. All right. So, Skiff loves to bring up Klopp uh, tidbits that nobody cares about. Awesome. Good job, Skiff. All right. All right. Now I'm going to kick it over to Scott, who's going to give you the rundown on the uh, the Wolves match against Olympiacos today. Scott. So unlike United, Wolves were in a competitive tie. Uh, they drew one one away to Olympiacos. So. As everyone knows, I believe, but if not, I'll explain. So away goals are critical in the knockout rounds. So a 1-1 away draw is, is a good result. Even even if you expected Wolves to win, a 1-1 is fine. So they handled business today 1-0 at home. Uh, Raul Jimenez scored a penalty in the eighth minute. And after that, it was kind of a dull affair. It was uh, Olympiacos dominated the possession, and Wolves just seemed content to sit back and uh, hit on the counter. So Olympiacos had 65% possession, but those shot numbers were roughly the same. So uh, Wolves did a good job of absorbing the pressure and, and uh, keeping the clean sheet. So uh, they are, Wolves will face Sevilla in the next round, who handled Roma in a surprisingly easy fashion. And then the winner of Wolves and Sevilla will face the winner of United's next tie, which is United versus Copenhagen, which somehow United gets sweetheart draws in every competition. Copenhagen fields accountants and and farmers so that'll be a tough match I'm sure uh, so I'm willing to bet we'll see Wolves United for a fifth time I believe Charles yeah yeah it's a un- unbelievable kind of a setup it could be uh 
the fifth matchup in, in one calendar year for, uh, for Wolves and United. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Thank you, Scott. Uh, now on to our uh, Champions League preview. Champions League games start tomorrow. Um, so they'll run Friday and Saturday. They're, they're just like Europa League, finishing off um, the second leg of games um, for the group stages. So uh, now I'm going to toss it over to – we're going to cover a couple of the Premier League teams that are still in the Champions League, uh, like Liverpool and – oh, wait. Oh, Liverpool's not in it anymore. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to toss this over to Eric now, who's going to discuss City's game versus Madrid. Oh, I'm going to follow that. Thanks. All right. I can't wait to talk about this great uh, reverse fixture. And kind of much like my mom, Real Madrid's kind of been red hot. You know, they've lifted the title La Liga after an almost perfect run after the league's restart in June. They tied one match and drew the last one only after um, everything's been settled. They won the rest of them. Um, they kept six clean sheets in doing so. And, and um, they, last, they had more than three goals in five of those matches. So they've, they've just been fantastic. City, it's kind of a, like I always say, a mixed bag. It's kind of like uh, the tale of two teams. Um, their home record scoring was good. They've scored three or more goals in each of their matches um, since the restart. But they actually lost three of their post-lockdown games. Um, they're each away from home, and they also scored a single goal against all three. So their offense on the road kind of sputtered a little bit. Um, if you go back to their previous match, of course, um, City won 2-1 with a late goal by uh, Jesus and De Bruyne. Um, City's best achievement in tournament, if you talk about history, their best achievement in the tournament, they, they can't all be Liverpool winning it six times, but their best achievement was reaching the semifinals in 2016. They're eliminated by the same opponents, Real Madrid, while Real actually are king of the hill with 13-time record champions and the only team to win the competition since its rebranding in 1992. Um, they are in trouble, though. They're behind 2-1. Um, they've only managed to overturn a home defeat once in this, uh, this competition in their history in 1970. If you want to look through some head-to-head -head, um, action, again, there's a 2-1 City win. I referenced uh, last matchup. We go back to 2017, Real Madrid beat Man City 4-1. Um, Real Madrid beat Man City 1 – or sorry, Man City beat Real 1-0 in a matchup in 2016. And the reverse picture of that one, it was a 0-0 draw of Real Madrid and City. So I see some high-scoring games. I see some low-scoring uh, defensive matchups. I, you never know what you're going to get with these two sides. Um, you go to the fitness report, uh, Madrid has Diaz, who will be out to illness. And, of course, Captain Ramos is uh, unavailable because of his red card. Um, he, they have said, Zidane has said they will be available if Madrid wins. Otherwise, they're fully fit. And um, Gareth Bale might as well be Christian Bale at this point because he's left off the squad totally. So, um, City, Aguero is still hurt. He will not feature, but still fully fit. But Pep said he will feature should they move on. Um, tactics, uh, Sergio Aguero was left on the bench during the 2-1 uh, victory for Manchester City, and Gabriel Jesus was deployed out wide. Uh, Guardiola said the decision to play without him was his response to Real's defensive changes. Um, the game changed. I looked when Sterling came on for City, got behind and kind of waited for support for De Bruyne. De Bruyne and Bernardo were um, key as false nines. His chain system and the Blues were managed to nullify the La Liga's uh, threat, but creating their own chances. And I actually got that thanks to Stephen Drennan from Crackstats.com. I was looking at some of his stuff which is kind of where I got it from. Um, as for a prediction, I predict a close match back and forth. Um, due to the loss of Ramos, I think it would be tough to overcome for Madrid. I'm picking City 3-2 to two final, but it would not surprise me if it was a reverse score with Madrid 3-2. to two. So, you guys have any thoughts? I mean, first off, Man City has no history. That, that's the first thing. <laughs> I mean, R Ramos uh, has more history of getting red cards than City does winning in Europe. Um, if you look at this matchup, City have been 
all over the place since they um, returned. I mean, really, they had nothing to play for in the Premier League. They pretty much had their spot wrapped up. But they could have won the FA Cup, and it would have been a trophy. Um, but they got eliminated there. And on the flip side, Madrid, I think they won or ha- or got points in every single one of their games back and are the Spanish um, Spanish champions. So when you look at um, how they're playing coming into this game, you definitely have to give the edge to um, Real. I know that they're missing their captain, but they've got a lot of firepower, man. And, and one thing when you look at with City is, is teams that – go and play and play against city and have the firepower to uh, kind of break them out and play um, city style, like Liverpool, they can get after city's defense who are leaky. Yeah. See, um, I, I agree. City's defense is leaky. However, Man City holding the, uh, holding the advantage going into this game and the game being at home for city too much. I, I think Pep takes it down. No problem. Um, I say City probably wins this game three to one, maybe piling on an extra goal late uh, to secure it, and so their their aggregate will end up being what five to two in total. So I think City City wins the tie handily. I'm actually going to say that I think this one, and this was painful for me, right? So the Liverpool's final game in the Champions League ended regulation a tie. I can actually see something like that happening to Atletico Madrid's crosstown rivals. You know what I mean? Like I, I could, um, I could, I could see something similar happening and then it going to extra time. And then ultimately, Oh, I just think the Spanish giants have too much for city's defense to be able to handle. So um, so yeah, so I'm going to say any regulation tied and that Real pulls it out in the end. So Pep, Pep is amazing, right? But his, if he has a blind spot, it's a little bit of his success in Europe. He's won in Europe, but relative to expectation, I don't think that he's performed up to par. He was a huge success at Bayern, but they always had that lingering like, okay, we needed a little bit more from you in the Champions League. So I think they'll probably lose this one. Uh, just he seems to have a little bit of a blind spot in uh, in the Champions League relative to expectations. Before any City fans, all four of you in the U.S. Um, come after me. Uh, hopefully, those four fans are not listening to our podcast at the moment. We wouldn't want to, to uh, get too mad at Scott, whose Twitter handle is at C O Y S <laughs> Seminoles, C O Y Seminoles. Yeah, on Twitter, Scott is his name. No. All right. Um, moving on to the next uh, Champions League game we got is Chelsea versus Bayern. I'm going to toss that over to Jen. Yes. Okay. So that, um, I honestly think this is going to be an interesting matchup. So on Saturday, um, Chelsea and Bayern are going to wind up playing the next leg, um, which is in Germany. So the first leg was in London. Um, Chelsea wind up taking it three nil on the chin. Um, they were honestly missing a lot of their important pieces, um, in the first leg. Um, and it's kind of interesting, right? So the Bundesliga has wrapped up play um, considerably earlier. They got, well, they got started earlier 
compared to the Premier League, and they wrapped up quicker. So um, Bayern is sitting um, where their last regular season game was the end of June, which they won against Wolfsburg. Um, since then, on the 4th of July, they played in the um, DFB Pokal final, which is basically the German kind of equivalent to the FA Cup, which they wound up winning um, against um, Bayer Leverkusen. And then they've had a friendly against Marseille that they wound up winning one nothing. So that was on July 31st. Beyond that, they've only been training, resting up, and basically planning, you know, for this, this next um, confrontation. Chelsea, on the other hand, um, finished up the Premier League, um, wound up, um, you know, doing, doing pretty good. But that FA Cup final that we mentioned kind of at the beginning and the top of the pod, um, they wound up losing to Arsenal. But something that wasn't really mentioned um, was the number of injuries that Chelsea suffered. And so they are, they are limping into this game. They're not going to have Pulisic, right? So he's broken. Um, hamstring injury looking at late August. They're not going to have Willen, right? He ankle doubtful that he would be available. Aspilicueta, right? Another hamstring looking at late August. Um, do we want to get into Kepa and the, the poor child's um, level You're, of play recently? He already won the Skiff Award for best player for another team, so. That's true. Okay, so reference that comment last week. Um, Chelsea has, um, I think, if you look at their form going into the first leg, right? So if we, you know, kind of turn back the hands of time, look back mid-February, like late January, early February, Chelsea was coming off a loss to Newcastle, draws with Arsenal and Leicester, a loss to Man United, and, sorry, Scott, a win against Tottenham. Right. And so they hadn't really figured out their attacking options. And so a healthy Chelsea would be a very different, um, like a very different game, but that's not who's playing, which I would think for Chelsea fans is super frustrating. Um, one of the things that I think is super interesting about this um, is we've got two of the most important signings of um, the transfer window that are options that you'd think that Timo Werner would be available for Chelsea because they desperately need him and his, his assistance, right? Um, Bayern you know, recently acquired Sané. Why aren't these people available well, I will, uh, I will answer that question for you. Um, so Sané came over from City to um, Bayern, and of course, uh, Timo Werner um, came over to uh, Chelsea from uh, Red Bull in the German League. So uh, swapping um, great players um, from the German League to the English uh, League on both sides. First off, uh, Timo actually played for uh, Red Bull this year in the Champions League. So if a player is registered with a team and plays in Europe, then he 
for instance, if he was bought in January, he would be ineligible to play for Chelsea anyways in the Champions League because he was already registered by another team. That's not the case. Um, he was not um, bought in January. He was bought um, outside of the window. So again, Timo went to Chelsea um, and then Sané went to City and then Scott, what is uh what's the transfer window can you give us a quick breakdown like what that looks like you know why why they can't um play absolutely so you you can actually these clubs can negotiate deals with each other really all year round but what the transfer window is is it's the period of time where a club can register a new player to their squad so the, the team of Werner deal was done long ago but the window in England just opened the day after the season ended so July 27th the season ended so that was the first day the deal could become official and Werner could become technically become a Chelsea player so but like Skip said Skip said he wasn't registered in time to partake in the competition because the squad was due in January so the transfer window is literally it's not the time to negotiate you can discuss contracts anytime you want you can distrust discuss fees between clubs anytime you want. You can talk to an agent anytime you want, but you cannot register a player for your squad until the transfer window. So in England, the window opened on July 27th. It's going to be open for 10 weeks, which is about average, and it's going to close on October 5th. The interesting thing about this year is England has elected to add an additional week onto the window, but only for domestic transfers. So on 10-5, no player from a European league, after 10-5, excuse me, no player from a European league can be transferred to a European club or to an English club, excuse me. For the following week from the 5th to the 12th, you can transfer players from the premier league to the championship league or anyone below or below in the pyramid, but premier league clubs cannot trade with each other. So if you want to, if, if you want to sell a, you know, a 19 year old or, or loan a kid to, to a European side, you don't get the deal done by the fifth. You can loan them to a kid in the, to a team in the championship, but you can't loan them to a club in, in, the premier league so you can the, a player can go up or down the pyramid which is what they call the the leagues in england but they cannot sell back and forth with premier league clubs for that final week and i think that's going to be interesting to see what happens with some of the younger players or the, the newly promoted teams and how they handle that that last week so that that's okay. what i've got can I, skip oh go wait, ahead Jeff. can i i just i just want to ask a clarifying question so up until the fifth anyone can be traded anywhere Sold. And then, and then after the fifth, well, I'm thinking like that, but that includes like loans, right? Yep. And so, so it's either like you, you sell them or you loan them and all of that business has to happen by the fifth. And then after the fifth, it's just up and down the levels, but nothing yes. at the same level. So what's important okay. to note, and I didn't mention this before. So especially for the Premier League sides that are in European competitions, your squad submission for UEFA competitions is due October 6th. So if some club in Europe or that's a mid-table club, like say Arsenal, wanted to decide to bring in a player from the championship, they would have to have them registered by the 6th. So sorry to my Gunnar friends, that last week isn't going to help you in Europe. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Scott, you, you talked a little bit about transfers, but just kind of jumping um, into it uh, a little bit deeper, not uh, too in-depth, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you mentioned that uh, 
players can, um, you know, talk to clubs uh, via agents um, at any time. Um, you know, and, and so usually what happens is um, a player will agree to personal terms with a team. So you'll see that, you know, player uh, ABC has agreed to personal team uh, terms with um, Chelsea and Chelsea fans go crazy, but that doesn't really mean anything. I mean, the clubs still have to negotiate um, the fee, right? So the fee can be, you know, broken down into a lot of um, different things. Um, some of them are, uh, you know, upfront money. You can spread the money out over, you know, uh, a couple of years. Uh, there are um, a lot of different ways that you can structure the fee. And a lot of it depends on, you know, the team, like, Manchester United theoretically has a lot of money where they can splash upfront money. So if you're a team that is, you know, say playing in a, a league like Portugal or something where you traditionally sell players um, to fund your expenses, you want all that money the year that you sell the player because then you want to go buy the younger players and repeat the process over again. So you know, a lot of different um, things go into the fee um, unless there's a release clause. Right. Um, so you saw uh, a release clause with uh, Timo, Vor Timo Werner recently. You know, he had a re release clause. I think it was like, um, you know, 40 or 50, I think it was 50 million pounds. So Chelsea says, hey, here's 50 million pounds. And guess what? The release clause is activated. Now that player still has to agree to personal terms with Chelsea. But at that point, you know, Red Bull is basically powerless to stop that player from being transferred to Chelsea unless another team comes in with more money. Now, there's a little bit of, um, you know, uh, intricacies to release clauses. Um, Scott, you mentioned, you know, some, something to me about the Spanish league having different rules with that. Yes. So in Spain, it's interesting the way the contracts are written. The release clause is only active and enforceable with another Spanish club. So, if, you know, if Lionel Messi has a billion dollar release clause and somebody who just got one over on, on CAS says, you know what? screw you guys, I'm going to splash a billion pounds. They can do it, but Barcelona aren't, aren't required to let Messi out of his contract just because they met the clause. The, in Spain, it's only contractually oblig obligated to other Spanish clubs. So I'm going to pause and see if there's any questions. Just, just really quickly, I want to, I want to follow up on, uh, on that as well. Just, um, I guess, let's see if I can simplify what, what a release clause is. So when, when, teams put a price on their players. They, they look at the market value of the player, his quality, how old he is, what his future looks like. Um, and so they set a price that they want to achieve for that player, you know, that they want to get from another team. A release clause is generally set just higher than that, than what their market value is. And that's a, a way of that team guaranteeing that they're going to get at least the minimum value and they're not going to haggle over the price. So if the team can meet the release clause, Boom! The transfer is initiated, and then then they create then they reach personal terms with the uh, with the player and, and move forward from there. Jen. Okay, I, I have a question. So one of the things I know about Werner is his release clause was, or at least if I remember correctly, was set up where the longer he stayed with his club, the lower the release clause got. And so, do they structure it like that because it incentivizes? Like it's not a value thing, right. right? Because he's he's increasing in value, but it's incentivizing them getting their money's worth. 
for right. at least a little while. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because they pay, they pay the contract out to the player. And so the, the longer that they pay on him, um, they, they can reduce the, the overall um, release clause because they're getting the value for the money that they're paying. Um, and so it's, it's more, more or less release clauses are, are in there, honestly, to ward off teams coming in and buying their, their superstar players, the team players that they really want. So sometimes the release clause is set at an astronomical level. Most people, they think Messi. Messi's going to have a, a massive release clause, which he does. It's 592.5 million pounds. He's almost 600 million pounds is his release clause. As Scott said, it's only enforceable in Spain. So even if an English team came in with a $700 million, you know, buyout of Messi, the, the Barcelona could still say, no, nah, screw you. Um, however, Messi's release clause is actually the fifth highest. It's not the biggest release clause. Any guesses as to the number one? Just going to throw that out there. Any guesses? Ronaldo. Griezmann. Neymar. Good guesses, but all wrong so far. Skip, you got a guess? Oh, do I have a guess? Uh, Vinicius Jr. Nope, it is not him either. Oh, I got it. I got it. Hold on. It's, um, oh gosh, Lewandowski. Nope. Nope. This is going to probably surprise a lot of you guys. Kareem Benzema has the highest release clause. I was going to say Mason Greenwood. $1 billion. What? Wow. wow. A billion dollars. Real Madrid has put a billion dollar release clause on Kareem Benzema. They think that highly of him. I, so I, I want to make, many I make one, do, but, yeah. one quick response in addition to what you said, Charles, on yep. why, the, why the release clause tends to dip as the contract goes. So it's the value that they get from the player, but it's also the asset is depreciating. So the fewer years on the contract, the fewer years they have the player under control. So that, you know, every year that goes away, you have less and less bargaining power as a selling club. So if somebody has one year left on their contract, good luck getting a good fee, ask Southampton. But if a guy has five years left, he's, you, you have control over his future, so you have more power. So it's a combination of those things. Yep, definitely. And a good example of that is Barcelona just signed uh, Sao Paulo wonder kid Gustavo Maia. Uh, I think he's like uh, 18 or 19 years old, and he has a release, release clause of 300 and $55 million. So that is uh, just breaking news for your transfer uh, tidbit. Uh, but there, there's other stuff that goes into, um, uh, into transfers. Um, one of them is a buyback clause. Scott, can you give me a, a quick breakdown on what that is? And I, I think you might have a famous example for us. I do. So uh, the good news about a buyback clause for people who aren't savvy with transfers yet, it's exactly what it sounds like. So you sell a player. It's not a loan. You sell a player to another club but you think he might have a future or you think he might have a value in the future at least. So you say, I'll sell him to you for, for $10, but if he comes good, I want to buy him back for $20. Worst case scenario, he's terrible. You just get your 10 bucks. But if he's good, you bring him back for 20. You can keep him or you can sell him. So an interesting uh, recent kind of high profile example of this is Alvaro Morata. So Real Madrid sold him to Juventus. They sold him for 20 million euro, which is not a big fee, especially for somebody of his pedigree, but they were stacked in the front line. They didn't need him. He wanted game time. Juventus has a big club. That, that was a good transfer. So, but they inserted 30 million euro release or buyback clause, excuse me. So again, for Madrid, low risk. Worst case scenario, you get 20 million. If he, if he comes good, you buy him back for 30 million, you put him into your team. But Madrid being the greedy club and intelligent club that they are, what they did is he blew up. He, ha- he had a great time at, at Juve. They bought him back for the $30 million. 
But instead of putting him in their, their front line, they had Bale, they had Ronaldo, they had Benzema, they're, they're stacked. They bought him back only to sell him again. So I don't even think he came back to Madrid. Like he boarded a flight from Italy straight, straight to London, and they sold him to Chelsea for 60 million, 66 million euro. So they sold him for 20, bought him back for 30, sold him for 66. Just an accounting transaction, just, just made 56 million pounds just because of the buyback clause. So you can, sometimes you buy him back to keep him. Sometimes you buy him back just to make the money. And as a Spurs fan, I'm sure Levy was giving them a round of applause when that thing played out. Okay, I have a question. With the buyback clause, does that mean like you're calling dibs? So like you, you get so, the first, is it a first option kind of situation? So it, it is. So if, if another club outbids that buyback clause, you do have the first right to, to the player. But it's still, you do have to agree terms a little bit. It's a weird thing. Um, but yeah, it is kind of a dibs on the player. Um, but another club does have, they, another club can't meet the buyback clause. They have to pay whatever fee the other club agrees to. Whereas you do not have to pay more than that for the club. It's like a release clause just for you. Okay, cool. I have a question. Is, is, is it easier for Premier League clubs, is what we're pretty much focused on on the pod, is it easier for a Premier League club to get a transfer done within the Premier League itself, like an interleague rather than, or intraleague rather than interleague between, for example, a team, um, you know, in the Premier League versus a team or with a team in the uh, La Liga? That is actually a really good question. Um, and honestly, I, I, the only reason I would say that it is easier for them to get deals done in England is simply because of the familiarity with the people. The, the front offices of the Premier League teams all know each other uh, for the most part. Um, and so there is a little bit of familiarity there. But overall, transfer business is transfer business. Um, so uh, you, what you're going to find more often than not is teams in England, especially like the top teams or teams that that you know they feel competitive with they're less likely to sell to somebody than they are to somebody outside of Europe because the the likelihood of them competing against that player again in the future is smaller it's it's much smaller so um so i would say yeah there's a little bit probably a little bit of familiarity and in, and in, in communication and being able to get things done within the premier league um but overall i wouldn't say that it, it's it, it probably is marginal um in in the actual outcome but um that actually kind of does bring up a, a really really good point that relates to transfers also uh, which are loan deals um and loan deals uh kind of encompass a situation where you know a lot of these premier league clubs have more players than they can play in a regular season they you know they're only able to roster 18 for a uh, for a, any individual game but they largely have anywhere you know 30 to 35 players um within their within their first team overall so how do they get these players to play games? I mean, they, they need minutes to, to get good and, and whatnot. So what they'll do with some of the players is they will actually loan them out to other clubs. They can loan them out overseas. They can loan them out, you know, within the Premier League. They can loan them out to lower leagues as well. So um, the, you know, these loan deals actually are, are extremely beneficial because they'll, the team that is receiving the player will pick up a, a portion of the player's wages um, and, and they usually don't exchange any type of a fee um, um, outside of just the actual wages that are being, um, you know, taken on. So the, the, you know, the team that's getting the player accepts a little bit of the wage bill, the team that's loaning them out, their player gets, uh, gets 
actual minutes, first team minutes most of the time, um, and gets the opportunity to grow and learn and, and you know, actually play some games. Um, and you see that all the time. But the really kind of clever thing about loan deals is that uh, in almost every loan deal contract that's, that's sent out, the player who is loaned out cannot face their parent club. Uh, a great example of this is this season, um, Dean Henderson, who is the goalkeeper for Sheffield United, uh, is actually a Manchester United player. He's under contract at Manchester United. So anytime Sheffield played uh, against Manchester United, Dean Henderson was not available. He was not allowed to play against his parent club for obvious reasons. Uh, so yeah, just a, just another another element of the uh, the transfer structure that really uh, kind of stands out and makes things a little bit more uh, curious. Jen. Okay, so I just have one more kind of clarifying question. What are free transfers? Ah, like free, free agents. Free, free transfers, the Juve special. Um, the Bosman. Yeah, basically, you know, a lot of times what happens is you look at Aubameyang. He's got one year left on his contract. Um, he's a great player. He's worth a lot. Uh, I mean, he's basically Arsenal's team. But, you know, if they're getting close to the end of this transfer window and he has not signed an extension to his deal, Arsenal has two choices. Um, they can let him play out the season and hope that they come to a deal between now and the end of the year, or they can sell him. If they don't sell him, they let him play out the year. Um, at the end of the year, actually, in January, he is free to sign with any team outside of England. Um, and why that is good for the player is instead of a club having to spend X number of dollars on you to be able to buy you, they now have that player getting some of the differential of the money. So it, it in some ways it behooves the player to not sign an extension, but they always potentially risk the injury that comes with uh, being out of contract. Is that the same thing that we're facing with Genie on album? Yep. yep. Okay. Same thing. If he doesn't sign a contract um, by the end of uh, you know next season, he'll be able to go wherever he wants. Same thing with Lalana. Uh, Scott, I think that uh, you might have wanted to uh, to add something to uh, to loans. Yeah, real quick before we move on to, to to another section. So there's one thing that's becoming really prevalent in in the world right now, especially with everything with COVID. So there's a, something called a loan to buy. It's kind of like a rent to own. You know, for you wanted to go to rent a center and get a couch. You know, but it's it's basically the same thing, except instead of a couch, it's Philip Coutinho. So you, what you do. Is you 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 make a deal with the team and you say okay I'll I'll bring I'll bring this player on and then sometimes there's we'll pay a certain percent of his wages you'll pay a certain percent of his wages and sometimes there's a loan fee for these higher quality players so maybe Spurs will bring uh, Coutinho in we'll pay 10 million to Barcelona to bring him in for a year and then at the end of the year we will have an agreed fee of 80 million euros so we have the right to to make the transfer permanent at 80 million. It's kind of like a release clause. They cannot require Spurs to pay more than 80 million. Now Spurs could negotiate less than 80 million, but 80 is kind of the ceiling for the fee. So as, as COVID strikes and revenues dip, you're gonna see a lot of loan to buy agreements. There is no, there's typically not a compulsory buy with it, but sometimes if a player plays X number of matches, the purchase agreement becomes permanent or becomes a compulsory, which means they have to buy him if he plays X number of matches. So that's going to be very popular. Anybody listening, just remember this. You're going to see a ton of that this summer. 
Coutinho probably will go to Arsenal and he'll probably go on a, a loan to buy deal uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, interesting things that are, are kind of structured with COVID um, going on with, with teams needing revenue and, and needing money, you know, there's a lot of young, um, young starlets out there from the lower leagues or even the premier leagues that, you know, might be sold. I know Liverpool um, has done this before. Um, they've inserted something um, called a sell on clause. So basically you got a player, he doesn't fit into your squad right now. He's, maybe, you know, older, 22, 23, you don't want to send him out to loan. Um, you know, you want the cash for him. You don't see his, him in your plans long-term. So you sell him. So you sell him, you know, for let's say 20 million pounds, um, but then you insert a 20 or 30% sell-on clause. And basically what that means is a player goes from uh, team A to team B, blows up, like just kills it like Murata um, did at, at Juve. And if, um, if Real had inserted a um, sell-on clause rather than a buyback, when Juve went to go and sell Morata, let's say they sold him for 100 million um, euros and the sell-on clause was 20%, then Real would net 20 million euros on top of what Juve already paid for Morata um, when they got the initial transfer. Awesome. Uh, great information, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, these transfers can be extremely tricky, and I know a lot of fans wonder what takes so damn long. I mean, you know, these we we hear rumors sometimes six months in advance, and you know what takes all these these uh, these front office guys so long to land these deals. But as we can now see, there there are quite a few things that they have to uh, that they have to agree to. And I mean, a lot of this comes, you know, the agreement between the clubs first, and then and then between the club and the and the new player, they have to agree their own contracts and deals and whatnot so um in the spirit of that uh one of the things we want to cover this week we're going to go over some of the uh the transfer dealings that are going on because it is it is transfer season aka silly season um because you get some of the silliest rumors in the world out there which is always fun um so a couple things we're going to go over and go over some some solid rumors or some actual actual done deals first. Then we're going to go over some really really solid rumors, deals we expect to get done, um, and then move on to a couple of just kind of a more you know credible rumors. We're not sure yet if they're going to happen, um, and then we might even talk about a few of the the silly connections that we've. Uh, that we've heard so far, uh, just for, for some fun. Um, so first off, uh, the, probably the biggest transfer um, that we've seen in the last week, uh, Nathan Ake to Manchester City uh, for 41 million pounds. Um, you know, quite a, quite a number for a defender who's going to come in and, and be a backup, at least initially. Um, but that deal is done. Uh, it's officially gone through. Another one that actually just came through today. We were, uh, we all expected it to go through. It didn't seem like it had too many hurdles, um, but it's kind of a swap deal between Spurs and Southampton. Uh, Piel Emer Hoiberg uh, coming over from Southampton to Spurs uh, to play center mid. Um, and then uh, Kyle Walker's Peters uh, headed from Spurs to Southampton. Um, ultimate, all, uh, all in all, we're, we're talking about three million pounds or four million pounds changing hands, um, you know, in, in that swap deal. I mean, they did put actual price tags on the players, but um, they worked it out in it. So it was a, a very, it was a very low money deal, which Dan Levy absolutely loves. Levy absolutely special. Loves. Levy special, yeah, absolutely. Um, the next ones, um, these are ones that we've heard of uh, becoming very, very close uh, to done. It's been reported that Willian and Arsenal have agreed uh, personal terms. Um, a, a fee between the clubs hasn't been fully agreed, um, 
and you know nothing's been completely set yet but uh William to Arsenal looks pretty likely uh William wanted a three-year deal Chelsea was unwilling to pledge um so we're we're expecting that one to go through because Arsenal's actually willing to give a 32 year old a three-year contract go Arsenal way to go uh so keep signing those old men so we, we touched earlier about how a lot of times personal terms are kind of the easiest thing to bridge sometimes, especially if somebody's coming from the continent to England. The English clubs have so much money, they pay plenty in wages. But this one is, is the opposite of that. So agreeing personal terms with, with Willian is actually the hurdle for Arsenal, not because they're cheap or because they just laid off 50, 55 staff members, but because that they don't have to pay Chelsea a fee. So if they can agree personal terms – Charles is laughing. It's making me laugh. If they could agree personal terms with Willian, that's the hard part because they have to give him more wages because they're not giving him a fee. So that's Charles is cracking me up. That's actually a big deal that they've agreed personal terms with him as much as it hurts me. Yeah. But wait, didn't you guys just say that Coutinho, Coutinho was going to wind up going to Arsenal? Like they'd get them both? Chance. Yeah. There's a good chance they could end up with both of them. I mean, like like uh, Scott said, there the, there's a good chance that the Coutinho deal ends up as a a loan to buy situation. Um, so in that in that situation, all, all Arsenal pays up front is part of Coutinho's current salary. So just like Chelsea, Arsenal are stockpiling attacking players and leaving their defense hung out. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, but I'd guess what I don't. I mean, because Willen is in his 30s having that kind of offensive competition, I, I don't know. Like, it just – it seems like it wouldn't be a good deal. Like, I think, as well, I think the appropriate, Arsenal Football Club. Uh, yeah, I think the appropriate <laughs> meme here is it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for him. That's, that's, it's, it's an Arsenal transfer. It's another winger, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I said that – how many times have I said that on this podcast? I really try to be impartial. I'm not trying to be the Spurs fan that hates Arsenal. It's another winger. But- <laughs> I mean, their manager used to be called Ars- Arsene Wenger, which is similar to Winger. So maybe they think that they're getting him back. I mean, I don't know, but they love buying Wingers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's 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 curious, just at best, or uh, you know, at worst, because uh, Arsenal definitely needs some defenders, and they they don't seem to be pursuing any of them, which is really really strange. Oh, except for the the one guy at uh, at Lille, um, the the twenty two year old. They are, they are pursuing that one guy, but that's it. That seems to be their only connection so far, which is very interesting. Um, probably the most, uh, the most uh, media-driven uh, transfer so far, um, or transfer rumor so far, of course, as, as is always, uh, deals with Manchester United. Uh, Jaden Sancho, uh, an English uh, kid who's uh, um, been playing in, in Germany for a couple of seasons now. Um, he, he's connected with Manchester United. Uh, largely, the reports are it's not if but when this transfer goes through uh personal terms uh, apparently have already been agreed with with sancho um the the biggest uh, hurdle right now is the uh the asking price um at least how it's going to be paid uh dortmund won 120 million uh euro for for Jaden, and uh united do not want to pay 120 million euro up front so they are looking at structuring payments um trying to organize how the how much they're going to pay each year and paying installments, uh, it'll it's going to go down to a, a little bit of a pissing match between the two clubs. But ultimately, as long as this drags on, it's going to the deal's going to go through eventually. United's going to end up paying, and Edward Ward remains one of the worst uh, negotiators in the game. So this is uh, the goat. Yeah, we're, we're all we're all we're all super happy about it. Um, the art of the deal too. 
Oh my god! This is one of those few times where I would take a Daniel Levy in this situation because he he would have already said no, and at least we would have some clarity. All right. Um, the other the other fairly uh, reliable uh, transfer rumor so far: City, uh, Manchester City, of course, fresh off of their uh, non-ban uh, from Champions League, have decided that they're going to just oh hey spend a whole lot of money. That's new for them, uh, and they're pursuing. They they've already t- brought in two players. Um, the, with uh, Ake and Ferran Torres, um, and they're looking to buy at least four more because Pep Guardiola thinks that his squad is not yet there. Um, but their their main target right now is uh, Koulibaly uh, from uh, he's playing in Italy currently, uh, and they'll bring him in. He's rumored to be in the uh, the eighty million pound uh, range, but obviously with City's oil money, they don't have to worry about that. That's that's no problem for them. Okay, so moving on to some uh, some other rumors that have a little bit of credibility. Not really 100% sure where they're going yet, as they're still in the early stages. Uh, first is uh, Ryan Frazier moving from Bournemouth to Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace are keen on bringing him in because he'd be a free transfer. Uh, Bournemouth were relegated this season, so it's an easy pickup and uh, would be some added winger depth for uh, Crystal Palace. Uh, the other is uh, Serge Aurier, uh, a... a I can't remember, Scott. Is he left back or right back for for Tottenham? He can do it all. If if AC Milan, if you're listening, he can do it all. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you can't. He can do anything you need. He's technically right. a right back. <laughs> the, the right back who can play any position, according to Scott. All right, he is uh, AC Milan, and actually one other club. I think it's Napoli. Uh, also showing interest in Italy. Italy um, loves Arie. I, I don't know what do. it is. They do. Um, and so uh, given that he was uh, initially uh, linked to Man United um, when he came over to Spurs, uh, needless to say, we are wiping our brow. Thank God we missed out on that one. Um, so he could be off to AC Milan and probably something that would be very happy for all parties involved. So I'm going to throw it out there. What is what is the wildest rumor you guys have heard so far? What's, what's some of the weirdest ones? So for – I guess uh, fans of clubs, the transfer window can be like Christmas, right? It opens, you know, just like when December starts, you have all of this time until Christmas, you know, you're looking at your wish list on Amazon or wherever you shop at, you see all of these, you know, uh, your, your wife clicked something on Facebook and an ad popped up. And so you think that you're going to get every single gift that you ever wanted, you know, the new Peloton, whatever you want. But that's not really how transfers work. So a lot of people kind of, you know, see these rumors and they get excited and, you know, they're like, hey, our, our club's going to sign uh, Liverpool signing Mbappe because he liked a, a, a post from Jurgen Klopp. Like, it's happening. You know, the wildest rumor that I saw uh, was a story um, that said that pre-COVID, Ronaldo was tired of playing for Juve and wanted to join up with Neymar and Mbappe at PSG. I mean, I saw that one as well. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Sounds I mean, plausible. the, the, I the only wilder one that I saw was Messi's going to run his contract down and join Ronaldo at Juve and have the two greatest players of our generation playing on the same team. It's not going to happen. 
I love it. I love those stories because they, they kind of like make you think in that fantasy land, like, oh my gosh, what would happen if they all played together? That would be, yeah. And then you're like, oh yeah, reality, money, all that great stuff. So yeah, no, that's not, I don't think that's happening. Either. Uh, and, and one of the, the, you know, summer transfer uh, media darlings, Gareth Bale, who seems to be linked with somebody every single summer, yep. uh, most notably the past four summers. It's every year been Manchester United. He's been linked with an actually, actually a different Premier League club this time. Scott, you want to tell us about it? Spurs. It happens oh, all the time. Wow. Wow. No, I, I, no, I, I really hyped no. it up for Scott to come through with Spurs. Hey, listen, <laughs> I, you guys have had it every summer. We, we've had it every summer. There were like two summers – because when he first showed up to Madrid, there was that photo of him and Ronaldo shaking hands in the parking lot with their skinny jeans, and they were best friends. <laughs> and, like, from every summer after that, he scored the, the, one of the best goals in a Champions League final I've ever seen. And Madrid fans have hated him ever since. So ever since then, it's been bail to, bail to Spurs. He makes 400,000 pounds a week, okay? It's not happening. It's just not happening. <laughs> the, the, the wildest rumor I've heard is that Spurs might have a positive transfer spend which we all know is not going to happen, especially in, in COVID times. We, we will break even at best. Let's just be, I'll be honest. It's the Spurs way. It is. It's absolutely the Spurs way. Absolutely the Spurs way. All right. So, uh, Scott, you had one more thing you wanted to, to throw in there? or Yeah, I just, you know, if any Arsenal fans have stuck out this long, I want to I <laughs> throw you a bone. I want to I I be fair. So there was a clever piece of business done last summer for a non-winger, a very talented, it's an Arsene Wenger signing. It's a, it's a young French player. He loved those, not, not in a weird way, but he always signed players from the French League. Um, William Saliba, I've mentioned him before on the pod. He's a young center back. They rivaled, Charles, you're killing me again. They rivaled Spurs for him, and he's a good player. He's a center back. He's going to come in and compete, likely, and play starters minutes for them in their back line. So Arsenal did make a good deal for a defender, a central defender that they need, not a winger. So it's not all bad for Arsenal fans. If you've made it this long, thank you for listening. You made a good deal. Wow. All right. So congratulations, I guess, again, goes out to Adit. That's twice in one pod for him. Some, yes. some seriously positive news. Adit. Adit, okay. if you're listening. Adit. Charles, Charles and Skiff <laughs> have both called you an Arsenal fan. Um, so I'll send you their address later tonight. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So now we're on to our final segments uh, for the pod. What in the world of football? Eric has told us we have a doozy for this one. He hasn't told us what it's about, though. So, Eric, take it away. Thanks, Charles. We, we got we to gotta, gotta tread carefully on this one. So uh, a couple months ago, we were all kind of dealing, fans of every league were dealing with the, um, the, the return to football and the restart and what to do with the crowd noise and what to do with no fans and how to add to the atmosphere. You're going to pipe in the crowd noise. You're going to put in, you know, uh, uh, cutouts of the fans in the stands. Or you're going to just leave them empty. What are you going to do? Well, South Korean football team, FC Seoul, uh, Seoul actually, uh, a big K-League team, actually got a $100 million, or actually 100 million KRW, their dollars, our equivalent would be $81,300 fine. The reason why, you ask? They placed, uh, how shall we say, uh, adult dolls in the stands as to, uh, to replace the fans. So fans criticized the club online, said it had blown the chance they wanted to show off the K-League to international broadcasters like ESPN and try to make their, their club, their, their league and their club big. Um, some fans said it was on, you know, on purpose. They were disgusted. Other fans weren't. Um, the dolls were actually in place for their second game of the, the season. Um, some of the figures were holding signs for a company that makes the adult dolls, and fans point out that they look like the adult dolls rather than just mannequins that other teams used. 
the club had to issue an apology on Instagram and Facebook um, a couple Sundays or uh, Sundays. It was, it was in March um, regarding the cheer mannequins that were installed during the game. We sincerely apologize for the deep concerns of the fans. They actually explained that although the dolls were made to look like real people rather than conventional mannequins, it had checked that they were not all related to adult products before agreeing to install them. And they've been told they were being mannequins of the kind commonly used to model clothes, which were obviously not the case. So once again, to recap, FCC in trouble, fined heavily, adult dolls in the stands. What a snapper. Skiff. Skiff. That explains why you kept back ordering that purchase. I, they were I, all in the stands in Seoul. I mean, they really blew blew up uh, blew that up for me. You know, I who who knew that the dolls would uh, you know, dolls would blow up my order. Jeez. Yep. All right, Eric. Another titillating story. Thank you very much, sir. We really appreciate it. Okay. Um, oh. I guess that is that is all for this pod. Uh, next week we'll be coming at you with some uh, some follow up on the Champions League and more Europa League previews. And uh, yeah, we're gonna have some more soccer fun for you. Thanks everybody for listening, and don't forget interact with us. Send us a message at f i v e a t b on Twitter. Come and talk to us, ask us questions, send in your comments. What do you want to hear from us? What do you want us to talk about? And we will see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.